means that when you feel unable to cope, whether it is a perceived threat or, or a real threat, you react the same way in your life as if you were threatened. Rather than thinking and using all your competencies, you become fearful. Responding to change with a sense of fear and anxiety can undermine your resilience. Studies have shown that some people tend to react either by seeing danger or fear in change, while others see opportunity and potential and are more resilient. Change can be discomforting, but with time, it often becomes more comfortable. In our account today of Gideon, which I forgot to read to you, so let me do that right now. Let's stand, honor God's word as I read from Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. In the account I just read, we encounter Gideon and a people that are facing major change in their life that eclipses the normal every day. And the change comes in the annual threat of the marauding Midianites. And this was a real threat. Well, I only read part of the introduction to the story of Midian, 
I'll review the entire story. It's very familiar. And it was about 40 years after the prophetess Deborah had led the Israelites to victory over their oppressors and had brought the people back to faith in Yahweh. But once the danger had passed and the memory began to fade amongst the Israelites, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and incorporated the worship of pagan gods with their own. And this once again moved God to chasten his people. As we read, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with the livestock, and their tents were like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, long ago, under Moses, when the people of Israel had come out of the land on Mount Ebal, they heard that there would be blessings for obedience as well as curses for disobedience. And in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and curses are stated. And in 30 to 33, it specifically states, you will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and rape her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies, and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation, and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat what your land and labor produced, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days." And this was part of the punishment for breaking the covenant with God. And now Israel had broken the covenant again. And now they were experiencing a new and dreadful change that threatened their very livelihood, the way of life, and even their very existence. Every year, like clockwork or income tax, these Midianites, vultures, would sweep down from the desert cross the Jordan and claim everything that they could get their hands on. Crops, sheep, cattle, donkeys, toilet paper. No, I just threw that in. But you get the idea. Since we are not farmers, it's hard for us to really appreciate the catastrophic nature of this loss with this annual visit from the Midianites. For us... Let us think of it as something as an, an army of 100,000 Hell's Angels-type motorcycle gang coming into your neighborhood, coming into your, your homes, and they'll take your cars, and they'll take your jewelry, and your TVs, and your electronics, and they may even take your wife and your kids, and it happens every year. That's what it was like. And so every year, 
about that time, the Israelites had to gather what they could carry. And they went off into the hill countries and the mountains and the cliffs. And they hid from the locusts that were the Midianites. And for seven years, this went on. Impoverished and defeated, the Israelites turned to the Lord and cried out. And you can see how far they had drifted from the Lord because, Lord, because it took them seven years before they turned to him. Before they bent their knee and remembered God. And in response to their crying out, God sends them this prophet. And the prophet just lays it out. They cried out, and he sent them a prophet. This is what the Lord said, the God of Israel. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you the land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live, but you have not listened to me. And then the prophet goes. You know, it's one thing to be crying out because of bad circumstances. But what they needed to do was to repent. Repent of their idolatry first. Further on in the story, down further in the chapter, Gideon's father uh, had an altar to Baal on his property. They have yet to see and confess and repent of their idolatry. The next thing that happens, we find verses 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, this angel of the Lord is to be understood as a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And this angel calls Gideon to be the next judge or rescuer of Israel. And he calls Gideon mighty warrior. And this is a bit ironic, because here Gideon is in hiding in a wine press in the mountains somewhere, threshing wheat to keep it from the Midianites. So this means that the angel was, was looking forward as to what Gideon would be, not what he was. And we should all be thankful that that's the way God looks at us. He finds us, but he knows he has something better. And Gideon is not excited about this visitor. It was probably not your typical bright, shining angel with wings or anything like that. Kind of probably just looked like a regular guy. So Gideon replies, "Uh, pardon me, my lord which is just, it's not Lord as in God, but Lord as in polite. Gideon replied, but if the Lord, God, is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders and our ancestors told us about when he said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's answer is not that of a mighty warrior. It's an answer of a cynic. Rather than acknowledge Israel's sin, he's blaming God. Where's God? He questions God. He even accuses God of abandoning his people. 
And the dialogue continues. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Notice here it simply states, the Lord turned to him. They dropped the angel. Because this is a a pre-incarnate visit of Christ the Lord. Jehovah turned to him, go in the strength you have and save. Am I not sending you? But Gideon balks. Gideon balks and makes excuses about his inadequacies. And if this sounds familiar, it should, because Moses did the same thing. When he was summoned to deliver Israel, he made excuses too. Oh, I'm not eloquent. I, I can't speak. You know, the, all sorts of stuff. Then the, the key verse comes in verse 16. And this is a key verse for the entire story of Gideon, which runs for three chapters. It simply says, I will be with you. I will be with you. We turn back to Exodus, chapter 3, starting verse 10. We read of God's words to Moses. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses was tending sheep out in the wilderness when God appeared to him. Gideon was hiding, threshing wheat. Neither seemed exceptional by nature. Both offered excuses. Both required proof from God to motivate and convince them. But both had the promise, I will be with you. The promise of the covenant God who will deliver his people. So Gideon provides a meal for his guest, who then touches the meat and the bread with the tip of his staff. Fire appears and consumes it. And now Gideon understands that this is a heavenly visitation. And he's terrified. Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. And later that night, the Lord speaks to Gideon, and he tells him to tear down your father's altar to the idol. And this act at first incites the people to want to kill Gideon. They rise up and they want to kill him. Bring him out, we want to kill him. But later, this actually seems to spark their repentance, a visible turning back of the people's hearts back to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And you're familiar with the rest of the story. Gideon somewhat hesitantly issues a call of alms to the Israelites. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet 
summoning the Abrazites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling to arms and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. And literally in the, the, the Hebrew it reads, the spirit of Jehovah clothed Gideon. Now in the Old Testament, uh, to have the spirit come upon someone is different than in the New Testament when the spirit comes upon somebody. In the New, it speaks more of spirituality and giftedness. But in the Old Testament, it meant more empowerment for a task. And this is why we often read in the Old Testament the spirit coming and going, coming and going upon these different individuals. It often has little to do with the character of the man. A prime example would be Samson. And more to do with the task. And such is the case with Gideon. But after summoning the people, Gideon balks again, and he asks for a sign. And this is when he uses the fleece that we're very familiar with. You know, first he asks for the dew to be only on the fleece and not the ground, and then that wasn't convincing enough when the Lord did it. And he said, well, let the dew be on, on the, the ground and not the fleece. And the Lord grants the signs. God's so patient with Gideon. Over in chapter 7, Gideon marches out with 32,000 men. Compared to the vast number of Midianites, it was a small army. But small is never too small when God says, I'll be with you. As God was about to demonstrate even further. God tells Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. I'm sure Gideon had kind of a sinking feeling when he saw two-thirds of his army say, thank you, and left. But God was not done yet. God was about to do something extraordinary, something only God could do, and he knew the hearts of the people. He knew that they would claim victory and the glory that belonged to God alone if it was anything like a fair fight. Isaiah 42.8 states, I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not give my glory to anyone else. So the Lord continues to thin the ranks. There are still too many men. Take them down to the water. I will thin them out there for you. If I say this one should go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took them down to the water. The Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now there have been many attempts to kind of explain what was going on here. Those who cupped 
and brought it to them, their, their, their mouths, others who knelt down and lapped the water. You know, the, the most traditional one was that they feel that those who knelt down were careless, they were not ready if there was a surprise attack. But the truth is, uh, the scriptures just don't tell us. Well, all we do know is that this is God's criteria, and this is what happened according to his sovereign foreknowledge and plan. So that being the case, 9,700 more men are sent home, leaving the 300. You can easily understand why Gideon would be very hesitant at this point to attack. What can be accomplished with such a small number of men? God continues to be very gracious to Gideon. He knows his fears. He tells him, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So they go down. They go down, they sneak over, they hear a Midianite sharing a dream with another Midianite. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend the dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the midnight camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. God was sovereignly working here. He gave a dream to a pagan Midianite and moved that person to share that dream at just the precise time that Gideon and his friend were sneaking into the camp to hear it. No detail of God's sovereign plan can be thwarted. And with his faith fully energized, Gideon divides his 300 men into three groups of 100, equips them with trumpets and torches inside a jar, and surrounds the Midianite camp. And at his word, they smash the jar and shout, A sword for the Lord and Gideon, and blew the trumpets. Then in 722, we read, When the 300 trumpets sounded. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with swords. The army fled. Later, as Gideon continued to pursue the retreating army, all those men of the various tribes that had gone home out of fear came back now and joined in the pursuit. This was the high point of Gideon's career as a judge. This was the moment that his faith in God's word, I will be with you, are remembered in Hebrews 11.32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. The change that God worked out for the people of Israel was miraculous. And yet, in his sovereign planning, God chose a weak vessel in the person of Gideon. 
And in fact, throughout the Bible, God chooses and uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan. And that should inspire hope in all of us. You know, God is not waiting for us to be perfect. He just wants us to be present. Willing and able to use, as the angel said, go in the strength you have. I'll provide the rest. I will be with you. Even in our weakness, our smallness, we are confident of this. One plus God makes a majority. An unstoppable force. God has said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now there are principles that can apply to our own lives and our church situation. But we're all facing changes. Last year, 2020, was a year full of changes, challenges, and even threats that shook us all on a number of levels. Uh, Local and national, we saw upheaval and dangers and even death. At times, the problems seemed like the Midianite army, a vast herd of locusts sweeping across our land. The situation had affected our lives and our church. Fear and concern have caused many people to stay at home. Now, let me tell you people at home, from the beginning of this pandemic, I have always advocated and encouraged certain people to stay home, and I still do. If you're elderly, like me, <laughs> stay home. If there's an underlying health issue, stay home. And even if out of an abundance of caution, you're just not comfortable in coming out to worship, stay home. And while I support that decision, there was always one criteria. Stay connected to the church. Make sure that you stay connected to watching these services, but also join our prayer service on Wednesdays, adult Sunday school on Thursdays. Uh, Stay in touch through emails, texts, telephone calls, whatever you're comfortable with. Hey, we even had a virtual dinner, which was very delightful. Call people up and say, hey, let's have dinner tonight by Zoom. It works. You get a little staticky once in a while. You get, uh, 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 but it eventually works out. There's a danger in staying home is that you can easily drift away. These days, you could become very lazy towards church and our Lord. Let me challenge you who are at home. Are you using the same criteria, the same concerns of staying out of church as you are for everything else? Are you as cautious about going out in general? Or are you out? And about going here and there, going out to dinner, shopping at the malls, but not coming to church. And with the convenience of joining our meetings, 
on the computer, from your home, what excuse do you have not to? Is it simply, I don't want to? You have to be honest with yourself. Where is your heart for the Lord's church, the bride of Christ? For those of you who remain committed and connected, whether in person here or faithfully viewing at home, I feel like you're Gideon's 300. We talk a great deal about Gideon's faith, and rightfully so. But the 300 should not be overlooked for their faith. In spite of their minuscule numbers, they remained loyal to follow Gideon and the promise of God, I will be with you. They did not have a direct encounter with the angel. They were not in on seeing the fleece. They trusted the word of Gideon. And they had to accept a tremendous change in how they were about to fight this war. If you notice in the verses, they they were not equipped with the traditional weapons of war, but rather trumpets and torches. Can you imagine their faces? Oh, yeah, and by the way, we're going to conquer those 100,000 with these trumpets and torches. I got it. But they didn't say that, did they? They didn't say, well, we've never done it that way before. They accepted this as the Lord's way and adapted. And likewise, we have been given a new way of doing church through the use of technology. It's a change many of us are not used to. Maybe, like me, you're not particularly comfortable with it. But it's an avenue that has been given to us, open to us, and we need to use it to its fullest and adapt to the change. In 2021, we will certainly continue, as long as feasible, to do both, in person as well as uh, live streaming. We will continue to be the church, and we will adapt to the new changes. Now, 2021 will hold a number of changes for our church. Some small, some may be large. We must avoid the flight or fight response and embrace the changes. We must remember we are not alone in this. It is Christ who declared he would build his church. And he has promised, just as he promised Gideon, Moses, and Joshua, I will be with you. And Christ promised. And Christ promised every believer, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. Do not fear the coming changes 
but Christ is with us. Since 1914, when this church was founded, we've had at least 14 pastors. Their stay has ranged from one year to 13. Average about seven. This starts my 11th year here at LBC. 12, if you count the one year I was here as an interim back in 2003. Pastors change. Pastors leave. Change happens. Sometimes they retire, like I'm doing. Sometimes the Lord puts upon their heart to move somewhere else. A couple have been removed from the office. None of them, including myself, have been perfect. We have all had our strengths as well as our weaknesses. We all can claim wonderful successes, but must own also wrong decisions. It's almost as if the Spirit brings pastors, each for a time, each for a task, and then it's time to move on. And to allow a new man to come in with a new vision, a new skill set to take the church to the next level. But through all the changes, the good times, as well as the bad, Christ, who alone is perfect, has been faithful to this church for 107 years. And we have no reason to doubt that he will not continue to be faithful through the upcoming changes. Change can be disconcerting, even messy. One pastor, Eric Watkins, wrote, The gospel of Jesus Christ lives best on the ground among regular folk living the grinding vicissitudes of daily life. Change is part of life. In the midst of change, we must remember the mighty acts of God in the past as recorded in Scripture. You see, our human tendency is to focus on the problems to focus on the overwhelming number of locusts out there and forget what God has done. However, as we reflect upon what God has done, it will redirect our perspective into knowing what he can do in the future. And we must recount in the midst of change Christ's faithfulness to this church over and over again. And that faithfulness has been carried out in the 300, in you, through you, the church body. Our church is is like a family. We've had a shared many good times, exciting times, many smiles, many laughters, as in any family. There have been a few times when we have not always agreed with one another or argued, maybe even hurt one another. In times of change, our church has become vulnerable to attacks from the enemy. Do not give him a foothold. Our disagreement must not lead to disunion 
as President Biden said. But just like a family, don't throw in the towel. Let us work through whatever lies before us together. If we need to confess, if we need to repent, if we need forgiveness or extend forgiveness, let us do it. But let us stay together in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You, the committed 300, will see this church forward into this new year. Armed with trumpets of praise and prayer, with torches of the light of the word of God, and the burning desire to see this church become even better, embrace the changes. Stand strong. I anticipate and I encourage you with enthusiasm, claim Christ's promise to you. I will be with you. God before us, who can be against us? Let's pray. A gracious Lord and eternal God, how we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we thank you that you have indeed uh, preserved our church. And, and Lord, we look forward to what you're about to do. We know, Lord, that there are changes coming. And Lord, uh, it, it is uh, unsettling. But Lord, we know you're in it. And we're trusting you to lead and guide us. We're trusting you, Heavenly Father, uh, to provide for us and all our needs. And Lord, we are thankful for the 300 committed people whether they be here in person or at home. Bless them. Make them strong, Lord. Give them those uh, trumpets and torches, Lord, to continue to proclaim victory in your name. And we'll thank you for it. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have some announcements here today.